Father, um, I just do thank you for today and for your goodness and for your mercy. Again, we lift up Jamie to you, God, and just know that Daniel will come in your perfect time, God. And so we just ask for your hand upon her and him and bring Javi home um, on time and safely, Lord. And Father, I just thank you for our time together, God. And I just pray, Father, that you would, um, Father, lead, guide, and direct as you always do, Father. And uh, as we enter into this time, we dedicate it to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Father, we acknowledge you, Father, as Lord and Savior. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to come together this morning to open your word and to be encouraged, to be convicted. We seek God, Father, to, to know you more, to have a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness. To put aside, Father, our week that we've endured and, and to not be overwhelmed or anxious for the week ahead, but God to be in your presence, to, to be strengthened, to be healed, to receive. Correction and discipline that we may be about your will and not our own. God, that we would not take our eyes off of you, but we would set our gaze upon you, Jesus. And Father, that we will humble ourselves, God, to recognize the urgency of the day, the generation in which we are living in, that we would boldly proclaim the gospel, that we would not neglect serving and loving others, God, that we would get over ourselves and allow you, Holy Spirit, to, to lead, to guide, to counsel so that our labor is fruitful for the kingdom, that we would be effective laborers, God. Being good stewards of all that you've entrusted us with, So I pray that our heart's cry would be, yes, Lord. God, that we would not be a stiff-armed people pushing you away. That God, that we would be a people who have run into your arms, receiving the fullness of salvation that is found only in Christ Jesus. That we would honor you our lives, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn from evil and do good. Turn from evil and do good. Search for peace. Yes. Search for peace and to work hard to maintain it. And I've been encouraging us and reminding us that in order to do that, we really need to realize who he is and who we are in him. So I want us to go today to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. Our identity is very important. We're defined by what we believe. The Bible says that as a man thinks, so he goes. And we've talked a lot about it here that how we see him is how we'll live for him. If he's not a great God, then our lives are not going to reflect that. Either our lives are revealing that 
his power, his greatness, or our lives are revealing our own selves, our fears, our lack of discipline. Our lives are going to reveal that our hope is greater in man and in this world than it is in, in God. I've been encouraging us that God is without fault. Though man blames God for everything, God is without fault because God in himself is just. He's right. He's holy. He's love. And he reveals himself to us time and time and time again. It is man, and again, having this visual that, stiff, that is stiff-arming God, pushing God away, saying, you're not God. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is our hope and our, and our, and our faith more in man, in, in the world system, or is our faith in God? Because our faith will determine how we live. And as we open up the word of God today, as, we, as we're going to see in the book of Exodus, he begins to set apart a, a, a group of people that he calls them his priests. We already know that he set apart the Israelites in order to bring forth the Messiah, a chosen people, to bring forth his purpose, ultimately, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus. But in the, in the center, if you would, of this great nation that he has set apart for himself, he sets aside a group of men that are now going to be his priests. And ultimately, our great high priest is Jesus. Everything you see in the Old Testament is foreshadowing Christ. It's revealing Jesus. And so we see here in 2 Peter, I mean 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. <clears throat> he says here, you are not like that. For you are a chosen people, you are a royal priest, a holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. We're not going to be like those who have rejected God. No, we're not like that. For we are a chosen people. So even in Christ, there's this hope yet again of a people who is consecrated, who is set apart for the service of the Lord. The church, the bride of Christ, Christians. As you think, so you go. How are you seeing yourself? What is your identity day in and day out? Is it just your circumstances? Is it just the world? Is it just your desires? Or is it of God? Seeing yourself as one who is set apart. Look at this. You are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Keep that scripture before you this week. Are we seeing ourselves? 
as a chosen person, as a royal priest, part of a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as we see ourselves like this, so we live, showing others the goodness of God, knowing that he's called us out of darkness and to, look at this, his wonderful light. Nothing of us. It's all of him. And then it goes on in verse 10. Once you had an identity, I'm sorry, once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Fruit from our lives. Fruit that we should be bearing. And we're warned as temporary residents, and I love this term, foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that, look at this, that wage war against your very souls. Trying to disrupt your belief in God, trying to encourage you to go the ways of the world, to think like the world, to act like the world, to give yourself rights to your desires, to your own self. We must, we must, we must daily. If we're calling ourselves Christians, live as one. A people who are who is set apart. A people who recognize that now we are part of the royal priesthood. We don't puff ourselves up. We don't become like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who make it all then about themselves and we draw people to ourselves and we lord over people. No, no, no. We are to be humbled servants because the greatest high priest, Jesus, he's our example. And he lowered himself and he came to serve, to love, to reveal the light, his wonderful light, calling us from darkness. And that's how we're to live. Going out, being the light of the world. Are we burning bright? We haven't said that in a long time amongst us. But are we burning bright? Fanning the flame. Growing and maturing as Christians. Knowing our identity, turning from evil and doing good. We will never turn from evil and do good until we recognize the fullness of who God is and who we are in him, all because of what Christ Jesus accomplished. The hope and the freedom that is only found in Christ that delivers us from darkness to light. This is the hope that we have to go tell others day in and day out and to live it among them and to live properly 
the Word of God says among them. That even if they accused us for doing wrong, when God comes to judge the world, look what it says there, they will see your honorable behavior. Let them say what they want here. But at the end of time, God's plan and purpose, God's favor, God's revelation of Christ as our Lord and Savior, the way we lived our lives unto Christ, the way we honored Him with our lips and with our hands and with our bodies, the way we represented Him, then they will know. Then they will know. They may not know now. Oh, but then they will. And we're going to read later in Matthew how he separates those that belong to him and those that don't. But to turn from evil and to do good. To seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. To trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not unto our own understanding, but in all of our ways. Acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. This is the hope that we have, you all. So be encouraged to, 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 to go forth this week and to know whom you belong to and to how you're to live, representing him as a royal priest, as a chosen person, God's very own possession. This is Christ, you all. It's all about his kingdom. The harvest fields are plentiful. The laborers are few. Oh, but I keep encouraging us to be a laborer in the Lord's harvest. That we will stand before him and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So what have you been thinking upon? What has been coming out of your mouth? What, what is being revealed of your heart? Oh, don't turn from Christ. Go towards him. Be healed, be restored, repent, turn from your sin. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you and pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, not in and of your own strength, but in the power of Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, if you walk habitually in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the hope that we have. He came and he accomplished it. It just can't be words. So in Exodus, chapter 28, verse 1 through 43 is where we're heading. The tabernacle, the tabernacle is built. The altars are coming into place. <clears throat> and now it's time to prepare for the priest. Chapter 28, call for your brothers, for your brother Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ethamar. And I love the next set of phrase of words here. Set them apart from the rest of the people. And we should highlight that. And we should focus on that. God's people have always been and will always be set apart set apart 
consecrated to do the will and the work of God. So set them apart from the rest of the people of Israel, so they may minister to me to be my priests. Make sacred garments for Aaron that are glorious and beautiful. Instruct all the skilled craftsmen whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. Have them make garments for Aaron that will distinguish him as a priest, set apart for my service. These are the garments they are to make, a chest piece, an ephod, a robe, and a pattern tunic, a turban, and a, and a sash. And they are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons to wear when they serve me as priests. Give them fine linen cloth, <clears throat> gold thread and blue and purple and scarlet thread. So again, we see in verse 3, it is God who sets them apart. It is God who fills them with the spirit of wisdom. These skilled craftsmen are filled with the spirit of wisdom on how to create what God is purposing. They make these garments for those who have been set apart, consecrated, for the Lord's service. As it was then, so it is now. But to be set apart. We may not be wearing these garments. <laughs> we may not have outer clothing that distinguishes us as priests and the chosen people of God. Oh, but our hearts, <laughs> our attitudes, our mindsets, our words, our service reflects who we belong to reflects who we belong to. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the New Testament, they took pride in how they looked and what they wore. They took pride in, in the out-of-parts. But their hearts were wicked. The new priests, the royal priests that we just read about, God's church, God's people, we live differently. We take no pride in and of ourselves or our outer reflection to people. No, it's the inner heart. And even in that, we don't even take pride in that. All glory goes to God because in and of ourselves, we could not clean up our heart. In and of ourselves, we could not change. It is God who transforms us by his power, by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension, through his blood. We are washed clean. And so this is the hope that we have to be set apart, to be, that to be recognized as his own but it's not going to be our outer clothing <laughs> it's going to be what's coming out from the heart that reveals the true priest of God the chosen people of God it goes on here the craftsmen must make the ephod of finely woven linen and skillfully embroidered it with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. It will consist of two pieces front and back joined at the shoulders with two shoulder pieces. The decorative sash will be made of the same material, finely woven linen, embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the tribes of Israel. Six names will be on each stone arranged in the order of the births of the original sons of Israel. 
and grade these names on the two stones in the same way a jeweler engraves a seal. Then mount the stone in setting of gold filigree. Fasten the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as a reminder that Aaron represents the people of Israel. Aaron will carry these names on his shoulders as a constant reminder whenever he goes before the Lord. Make the setting of gold figuring, then braid two cords of pure gold and attach them to the filigree setting on the shoulders of the ephod. Again, God setting apart these men to stand in the gap for Israel, to represent God, to go before God, and, and, to, and, and to take upon themselves the sins of Israel as they're sacrificing the animals. They're going in before God. And it's foreshadowing of what Christ has accomplished. Our great high priest who took upon the sins of the world, not just one nation, but the world. He came and he willingly, not only was he our high priest, but he was our sacrificial lamb. His body was sacrificed. He was slain, he was beaten, he was torn into pieces for us. And as we already talked about, the point of his death, that curtain was torn, ushering in men and women unto the presence of God. To be called of God, to be chosen of God, to, to, to serve God, not having anyone in between them. Because Christ has already accomplished it. It is Christ who is our mediator. It is Christ who, who is interceding for us. It is Christ who is our high priest. It is Christ who is the sacrificial lamb. He is the one in whom our hope is in. At least it should be. He accomplished it so that we can live in this generation, purpose for this hour, as the world is growing darker and darker, the church, we are to be growing brighter. We are to recognize who we are. We're to have discipline in our lives. We're to be growing. We're to be maturing. Because we're in service unto the Lord. We've laid down our lives. We weren't forced to. We willingly have laid down our lives and said, Yes, Lord. You're God. I receive your you. As my Lord and as my Savior. Such great salvation. Such great hope to be restored. Aaron had to go in. And I can only imagine him having the names of the 12 tribes. Being reminded that he's not only God's representative to the people. But he's also the representative of the people to their God. To their God. Then the great skill of, and care make a chess piece to be worn for seeking a decision from God. Make it to match the ephod using finely woven linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Make the chess piece a single piece of cloth 
folded to form a pouch nine inches, nine inch squares. Mount four rows of gemstones on it. The first row will contain a red carnelian, a pale green peridot, and an emerald. The second row will contain a turquoise and blue lapis lazuli and a white moonstone. The third row will contain an orange jenknip and an arrogate and a purple amethyst. The fourth row will contain a blue-green beryl and onyx and a green jasper. All these stones will be set in gold filigree. Each stone will represent one of the twelve sons of Israel, and the name of that tribe will be engraved on it like a seal. To attach the chest piece to the ephod, make braided cords of pure gold thread. Then make two gold rings and attach them to the top corners of the chest piece. Tie the two gold cords to the two rings on the chest piece. Tie the other end of the cords of the gold to the gold setting on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then make two more gold rings and attach them to the inside edges of the chest piece next to the ephod. And make two more gold rings and attach them to the front of the ephod below the shoulder pieces, just above the knot where the decorative sash above the knot where I'm sorry, where the decorative sash is fashioned to the ephod. Then attach the bottom rings of the chest piece to the rings on the ephod and with blue cords. This will hold the chest piece securely to the ephod above the decorative sash. And this way, Aaron will carry the names of the tribes of Israel on the sacred chest piece over his heart when he goes into the holy place. This will be a continual reminder that he represents the people when he comes before the Lord. Insert the Urim and the Thummim into the sacred chest piece so they will be carried over Aaron's heart when he goes into the Lord's presence. In this way, Aaron will always carry over his heart the objects used to determine the Lord's will for his people whenever he goes before the Lord. Seeking the Lord's wisdom. Seeking the Lord's counsel. We don't know when this setup of of seeking the wisdom of God transitioned into casting lots. But as I was reading all these different commentaries, this was when he would go in and and those two stones that he would have in his pouch, and however they turned, whatever they did, that represented the Lord's will for what he was seeking the Lord's guidance for, for the tribes and for the people. But we recognize this, that it is the priest who is seeking the Lord's will. As it was then, so it is now. Seeking the Lord's will. Using discernment and wisdom. We are not casting lots. We are not wearing stones. It's nothing odd. It's just seeking Him and trusting in Him. Everything that God speaks and reveals to us lines up with His Word. If it doesn't, we ought not to be doing it. There's not new revelations taking place. It has already been established what God's perfect and pleasing will is. Open up the word. Get sound counsel, which should line up with the word. And apply the word to our lives. We just can't be hearers of it. We must be doers of it.
seeking the Lord's will, getting an answer from God is vital for his people. But we now not wait for a priest to go in and get it for us. No, because our high priest has already brought forth an understanding and a revelation of who God is. Trusting Christ in every situation, going before Him in prayer, seeking Him, trusting in Him. Sometimes we make the will of God hard to ourselves. And we do, and we do, and we do, and we do, and we try to get answers. But we don't have to labor. <laughs> and, 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 and within our own strength, no, we just go before Him. God, how should I move? How am I to live? How am I to act? What should I do in this situation? I love it when the Word of God tells us that He gives us an understanding of His good and pleasing and perfect will. The will of God. To live lives that are obedient and to service unto Him. Trusting Him that whatever we're putting our hands to, whatever words are coming out of our mouth, whatever we're giving thought to, is honoring to Him. It's furthering His kingdom. To be about the Father's business, furthering His kingdom, is what your hand going to, is what your mouth about to speak, is what the thoughts that you're thinking upon, is it furthering God's kingdom? How is it going to affect furthering God's kingdom. Keep that before us as we're seeking Him to do His will. And all that we do and say will line up according to His plan, according to His purpose. But here from the beginning, we see God taking the extra step, if you would, the extra measure, creating this, this piece, if you would, part of the chess piece, that he would carry these two in his chest piece, and they would be carried, the word of God says, in verse 30, over Aaron's heart when he goes into the Lord's presence. And this way, Aaron will always carry over his heart the objects used to determine the, will, the Lord's will for his people whenever he goes in before the Lord. So again, we're not, we're not relying on stones or rocks. <laughs> we're not even casting lots anymore. No, we're trusting God, you all. Our high priest has already accomplished everything that we need, even down to the discernment that is needed to do the will of God. Are we trusting in him? We go on here, additional clothing for the priests. Make the robe that is worn with the ephod from a single piece of blue cloth with an opening for Aaron's head in the middle of it. Reinforce the opening with a woven collar so that it would not tear. Make pomegranates out of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and attach them to the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and pomegranates are to alternate around them, I'm sorry, around the hem. Aaron 
will wear this robe whenever he ministers before the Lord, and the bells will tinkle as he goes in and out of the Lord's presence in the holy place. If he wears it, he will not die. Next, make a medallion of pure gold and engrave it like a seal with these words, Holy to the Lord. Attach the medallion with a blue cord to the front of Aaron's turban, where it must remain. Aaron must wear it on his forehead so he may take on himself any guilt of the people of Israel when they consecrate their sacred offerings. He must always wear it on his forehead so the Lord will accept the people. Weave Aaron's pattern tunic from fine linen cloth. Fashion the turban from these linen as well. Also make a sash and decorate it with colorful embroidery. For Aaron's sons make tunic, sashes, and a special head covering that are glorious and beautiful. Clothe your brother Aaron and his sons with these garments and then anoint and ordain them. Consecrate them so they can serve as my priests. Also make linen undergarments for them to be worn next to their bodies, reaching from their hips to their thighs. These must be worn whenever Aaron and his sons enter the tabernacle or approach the altar in the holy place to perform their priestly duties. Then they will not incur guilt and die. This is a permanent law for Aaron and his descendants after him. Clothe your brother Aaron and his sons with these garments, verse 41 said, and then anoint and ordain them. Consecrate them so they can serve as my priest. And we are clothed, you all, in Christ. Again, our great high priest. Everything we're reading in the Old Testament is foreshadowing. foreshadowing. It's pointing towards ultimately the one who will come and who has crushed the head of the enemy. Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Now we are clothed in Christ. And I love how the, the, the New Testament gives us this understanding and this revelation to take off our old clothes, if you would, and to put on, and we and see that throughout scriptures, to put on, to put on the newness now. Because we've been set apart, we've been called out, we've been ordained, we've been consecrated unto the Lord. And now we're to live as such. And we're clothing ourselves daily with the good news of the gospel, with the hope and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and the long-suffering and love. This is what we're dressing in. We're putting on the armor of God. <laughs> we're to represent Him, you all. He took specific details on how His priests are to perform their services and how they are to look. They were set apart from God's people, this nation that he's called to himself. And he set up the priesthood so that they could minister before the Lord so that the people of God would be Received by God. Like they went, I can't, can't even imagine them going into the presence of God 
See, the people could only go so far, but the priests went further in. I mean, the responsibility that they must have felt and that weighed upon them. And how sad to see it turned into what it became. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious men turned that responsibility into. They made it all about themselves. And they neglected the people. Let that not be said about the church today. That we're making it all about ourselves and we're neglecting the people. And the responsibility that we have. Not again in and of our own strength, but the responsibility that we have to be represented, to represent our, 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 our God. The Bible says that we are ambassadors. That we're representing his kingdom because we've been transferred from darkness into light. Oh, that we will understand the responsibility that we carry. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to have to give an account to God. Like those servants we read about last week of what he's entrusted us with. We're going to have to give an account to God. And we we should understand the responsibility. And prayer this week in in my writings, you know, I wrote down this, this thought that I was meditating upon. It says, until you see yourself as a rebellious sinner, you will never see your Savior. Until you recognize how wicked you are, you would never be brought into repentance and see this beautiful Christ, this Jesus, the Savior of the world. You recognize that. And he receives us. He draws us to himself. He's first loved us, even in our rebellion. It's his love that is drawing us. Come from that place. Come, come, come to me, he says. I've already accomplished everything before God. I did it for you. So don't choose to stay apart from me. No, come join in. All because of what I have accomplished. That's his message. This is a responsibility that we have to go and tell the world, Come to Jesus, repent, turn from your sins, turn from your wickedness, turn to Jesus. He will transform you by his power. You will no longer be the same. You're not going to no longer have to be downcast and, 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 and held with guilt and shame. No, there is a freedom that comes when you finally see your Savior after recognizing the rebellious sinner you are. You say, yes, God. Not in and of myself. In and of myself, I would remain that rebellious sinner, demanding my rights, demanding my ways. Do for me, do for me, do for me. Stiff-arming you because now I'm mad at you. You're not God. I'll take care of this. Live in hell. Just Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, and then Matthew 26, verse 13 is where we're heading. 
Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, and then chapter 26 through 13. Jesus again is talking here. And he's been revealing to the people what it's going to look like when his return comes. He, he, he's preparing them to, to have an understanding as he's been teaching in parables and these little stories. As we read about the ten bridesmaids, as we read about the parable of the three servants. As we read at the beginning of chapter 24 that Jesus foretells the future. And don't you find it interesting that if Jesus stops in the midst of his ministry to reveal these things, they're of importance. And yet we live in a generation, a day where now where people are trying to rewrite, if you would, the word of God. There is no hell, they say. There is no judgment. Jesus is just of hugs and muffins. Making him nothing. Making his blood common. And yet Jesus himself has a lot to say about hell. The final judgment. Verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left hand or at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. You want another line to underline and to highlight? Highlight that verse. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And we see that all throughout Scripture. How everything has been purposed and planned even before the earth and the worlds were created. The word says that he's already prepared good works for us to do. <laughs> he knows already those who will belong to him and those who won't. But to have this assurance to enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And remember even when Paul says, you know, this gospel I preach, man didn't teach it to me. No, God was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son Jesus. And Paul recognized that he was commissioned way before even the earth was formed. And yet Paul's life before Christ was a hot mess. He was a very religious man. He was one of the highest of the highest of Pharisees. He, he, he was well scholared of the law. He hated Christ and he hated Christians. He was a murderer. Until Jesus knocks him off his horse and reveals himself to him. And Paul gave up his rights to his own life and became a follower of Christ. 
and he was purposed and formed. Even before he was placed in his mother's womb to go declare the good news to the Gentiles. That's amazing. And we all have a calling. We all have a purpose. Works that have already been prepared for us to do. And yet if we keep stiff-arming God, if we keep going our way, none of it will be accomplished. And how sad. Because that's not how we ought to be living. No. Our prayer is, God, your will be done. Here I am, Lord. Send me. This day, send me. As I step out of my house, send me. Let me not be so consumed with myself that I miss an opportunity. I am your priest. I am a chosen one. I am to be about my father's business. I am to serve. And even no matter what our circumstances are, this is the position we're in. We're in Christ. Paul, for goodness sake, suffered so much. But he never forgot who he was and whom he belonged to. Let that be said about us. That we stop forgetting who we are and whom we belong to. No, that we start recognizing who we are and who we belong to and start living it. Impacting others. Day in and day out. Recognizing that we will inherit the kingdom that was prepared for us from the creation of the world. He goes on, For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. Whenever you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Serving others, you all. Loving others. Meeting the needs of others. Caring for them. This is what Christ did. And again, we're not doing it to, to applaud ourselves and we're not doing it to, to gain salvation or right standing with God. No, it just comes natural now. Because remember, we're born of a new nature. We must not forget that. Jesus himself said, you must be born again Amen. of the Spirit. Not of the flesh. You've already been born of the flesh. And that flesh is in rebellion to the things of God. It never will line up with God's plan. It never will. That's why you must die to it. You must relinquish your rights to the old woman, to the old man, and say, no more. For I have accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've been born again. I've nailed those passions to his cross. I'm living differently now. I'm learning how to live differently now. I'm maturing and I'm growing. I'm of a new nature. A nature of peace, a nature of love, a nature of service. Again, I can't forget those women in the, in the, in the, in the, um, the dump. 
over in India, their circumstances aren't changing. Society still looks down on them, but people are looking in wondering what on earth is going on with them because they're living differently. They're sweeping up the little dump, making it somewhat presentable to invite other people in to tell them about Jesus. To serve them from, the, what the, from what the world considers the lack that they have. And yet, all because someone was bold enough to go into that dump and to share the good news. Not promising that they would leave the dump, but promising of the, the kingdom that is coming that belongs to them because of Christ. Beautiful. And that's why when we peddle the, when we see people peddling the word of God for a prophet, when, when we see people just doing weird things with the gospel, we have to recognize, wait a minute, that does not line up with who Jesus is and what his kingdom is about. We must run from it. We must sleep, flee from it. Because it's offering us something that is not true. And that's why Paul, we see in his letters constantly, you know, who's bewitched you? Why are you following a different gospel? Why are you trying to live out in the flesh what you received in the spirit? It can't be done. Because the two natures do not go hand in hand. One will thrive and one will die. And oh, let it be said of us that our spirit is thriving. That we're walking in the spirit that we're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. And if, we, and if we do, that we feel the conviction and we repent and we turn from it and we get up. Because we're not perfected until we're with him. So we're not talking about Christian perfectionism. No one's expecting anyone to live a perfect life. But we ought to be living a maturing life. Getting up and pressing on. Gaining ground. Not giving up ground gaining ground. There's work to be done. And so we're just serving. We're just doing because it's, 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 of, it's of who we are. We don't even have to work hard to do it. We don't have to think twice into giving. It just, it's just natural now. It's just what we do as Christians. Verse 41, Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will apply, Lord. When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into an eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Jesus. Look at verse 41 again. The end of it. Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. God's will is that none should perish, you all. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. 
But unfortunately, there will be those who are stiff on God, continue to live a self-centered, destructive, rebellious life, and in the end, they will receive what they chose. I know people like to question God, and why would a loving God send people to hell? No, a loving God doesn't send people to hell. The loving God gives the people what they want. He's not forcing us to love him. But don't expect to inherit his kingdom on your terms. That's not happening. Never will. Never will you find that in scripture. It's a people who are set apart that belong to him. It's a people who, who have been born again because of all that Christ accomplished. Those who believe in Jesus are saved who confess with their mouth and, and believe within their hearts that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He's defeated sin and death. And yet so many times we live ignorantly of that and we keep allowing sin and death to defeat us. Why on earth are we choosing to allow forces that have already been defeated to define us? No, you're no longer to be defined by sin and death. You no longer need to be defined by your rebellion. You're defined now by your obedience. Because of his obedience. We would never be able to accomplish it if Christ never came. So that's why we don't rely on ourselves. No, we rely on him. God, your will be done. God, your will be done. And he tells them. Enter the eternal fire. A place of torment. A place that we can't even comprehend for eternity. For eternity. No way out. No way out. And that's why I keep challenging us. We need to care for people's eternity more than we care for their temporalness we need to we've got to stop playing these weird games that we play and, and holding back from people because oh we don't want to offend them no 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 we got to be able to speak in love and if they don't want to listen then turn them over to what they want let them have what they want but don't give up on them pray for them Love on them when you get an opportunity. Continue to uphold truth. But they're watching your life. They're watching your life. So represent Christ to them. Represent Christ to them. We, I've been talking about the younger generation that each of us have an opportunity to impact. We need to care more about their eternity than we do their temporalness. Because they're all at an age now well they haven't given give an account to their lives and we just can't keep allowing them to play these temporal games and have these temporal mindsets no we need to encourage them to seek the Lord to know the Lord to have prayer time with them to have devotional time with them to minister truth to care to speak to give them the good news day in and day out. The good news of Jesus. Because, listen, the world's given them news. 
their desires in the flesh are pulling them into even more rebellion. And Satan and his demons are having a field day. But God can deliver them. But do we believe it? We won't believe it unless we believe that he delivered us. <laughs> See, it all goes back to how you're thinking. It all goes back, as you think, so you go. And then so you go, so you lead. Others are following. Remember, even Jesus warns the people. Or he tells the Pharisees, you travel far to win converts, but you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. Careful how we're living. And look what he says here in the end of the verse there. Verse 46. And they will go away into an eternal punishment. Oh, but look at the good news. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Amen. Eternal life. And we as believers should not be afraid of, of, of the days that are coming. We should not be afraid of, of, of the wrath of God that's going to hit this earth. No, we are to be prepared for it. And remember, we're to be working as, and, as, and as, as we are ushering it in. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Because we recognize this world is not our home. So there's work to be done to tell others of the good news of Jesus Christ. That they will inherit eternal life and not eternal punishment. There's only two ways going in eternity. One, of eternal life. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Or the other, depart from me. I never knew you. But I did this and I did that. And didn't I do this? I never knew you. So come on, you all. Come on. We must wake up to the reality of who our God is. And the urgency of the hour and the breath that we have still left in our bodies, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. And it's not easy. And Jesus himself already has made it clear. To be a follower of Christ, consider the cost. Consider the cost before you commit. <laughs> because it's going to cost you everything. In this world, you will have trouble. But we're called to be of good cheer. He already tells us they're going to beat you. They're going to hate you. They're going to throw you out. You're going to be rejected. But they do that because they did it to me. How they treated him, so you will be treated. And look at how Christians are mocked. And it's escalating within our own country. We're not facing what our brothers and sisters overseas are facing yet. And I keep thinking as I'm praying for the persecuted church, and as I, as I keep praying for the Western church, I just keep thinking, God, wake us up to the reality of what's coming. Like if we can't even stand now, how are we going to stand then? How are we going to stand then? We must be able to stand. We must be able to be, to represent him. Even though you're shunned, even though you're outcast, even though you're mocked and you're laughed at. I mean, biblical principles, principles of life that gives you such freedom and hope are mocked at and laughed at. I was reading an article today how this Christian man, he, he was saying how, you know, he saved himself 
for his marriage night. And him and his wife, they remained pure up until that time when everything was pulling on them to go for themselves. To go ahead and, and have intimacy. To go ahead and have sex. To go ahead and shack up. To go ahead and to do. <laughs> but they remained pure. They wanted to honor God. And to see the comments that people were making. I said, wow. Wow. To do right is mocked at and laughed at. And it's only getting worse. You look crazy living right in this world. And it ought not to be. Because you're not going the ways of the world, the world is not going to celebrate it. The world is going to turn on you. But remember, as we read earlier, you're a foreigner. You're a temporary resident. But while you're here, be about your father's business. Go to Psalm 31. Verse 9 through 18. Psalm 31. Verse 9 through 18. The Psalm of David. That does not forget who David is. We haven't really studied him yet, but he's King David. I can't wait to get in the study of him. But he was known as a man after God's own heart. He loved God since boyhood. He was chosen by, of God, by God, for God. For God's purpose to be the king over Israel. And yet, he fell. Time and time and time again. But I love this, you all. This is where we can really, and I keep encouraging you to read through the book of Psalms. We're going to have seasons of failure. We're going to have seasons of doubt. We're going to have seasons of confusion. We're going to have these seasons that are going to challenge our very own identity. But we must respond as we see God's people respond. We look up. And we don't give credit to what we see and, and that's before us. No, we look up and we give credit to our God. Like we see him for who he is. That we put him first in everything. As we were saying about earlier, determining the will of God. If God is not before us, it's hard to determine his will. But if we keep God before us, he is faithful to lead us. And his will will be done. And I love this. Hear the words of King David. Verse 9. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying, look at this, from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. I am scorned by all of my enemies. I am despised by my neighbors. 
Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I am ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I have heard the many rumors about me, and I'm surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. Wow. And we've all may not been into this dire, you know, stressed and facing what he is physically facing and mentally going through. But I believe we all can testify, and if we haven't, oh, there will be a season that will come of such great times of testing with our own soul, with our own being. Listen to this description, what he is describing here. Such great depression. Such great stress, torment, fear, panic, anxiety. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. Because that's all sin does. (laughs) I am a wasting away from within. I am scorned by all my enemies. I am despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I am ignored as if I were dead. As if I were a broken pot. I've heard the many rumors about me. I'm surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. He's isolated. He's lonely. He's feeling overwhelmed. Terror striking to his very core. Now, praise God. (laughs) Though yet he recognizes where he's at. Verse 14. But I'm trusting you, O Lord. Oh, how we should say amen. Forget what I just said. (laughs) Because I can put all that aside. Because I'm trusting you, oh Lord. Look at that. We're going to verse 18. But I'm trusting you, oh Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant and your unfailing love. Oh, be reminded of his love. Rescue me. Don't let me be disgraced, O Lord, for I call out to you for help. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them lie silent in the grave. Silence their lying lips, those proud and arrogant lips that accuse the godly. You see the difference? He could have stayed in his pit of torment, but he chose to look up. Are you looking up today? Are you looking up? Can you say, but I'm trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. Keeping God first, you all. No matter your circumstances, no matter where you've been or what you've done, His life was wasting away because sin has drained my strength. He's done wrong. 
He recognizes it. He's not excusing it. He's recognizing it. This is coming upon me. (laughs) But God, your unfailing love, how beautiful is that? Give thanks to the Lord for he endures for his love endures forever. No greater love you all. And the world is trying to define love. The world is is longing and and searching for love. And yet all along, God is love and God is there. And God says, here I am. And yet the world is stiff-arming God. (laughs) But believers, but Christians, we should know of his love. His great love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave himself. Himself. And David knew this about God. In your unfailing love, remember me. And in remembering me, Take care of this. As you're taking care of me, take care of this. Silence them. He knows the outcome for the wicked, as we do. So we're not to be overwhelmed or anxious by the wicked and what they say or how they treat you. And we're to look up. And say, okay, God, you're God. But I'm trusting you, O oh Lord, saying, you are my God. Go to Proverbs chapter 8. And God's timing is always perfect, you all. It's in those times where you can look up and say, but you are God. And in a moment, he can turn everything around. And then there's times where you say, but you are God. And it may take a while to get us through, to get us over what's challenging us. But hold on to truth, you all. Endure what you must endure to get to where you're going. Like I said a few weeks ago, so many times we're we're trying to get out. (laughs) And yet all along we need to stay in. Because until we gain the maturity that we need in this season, we won't be able to handle what's ahead of us. So we just got to get real with life. And stop pretending to be things that we're not and and to have that we don't. We can't have a false sense of of hope and a false sense of freedom because that's only going to explode in our face sooner or later. And we're going to wind up down. (laughs) No, we face reality, face truth. Life may suck at this time. Hardship may be overburdening you. (laughs) But look up. But you're God. Keep reminding yourself, but you're God. Keep getting up every day and serve because he's God. If nothing changes, you are God. If I'm kept in this prison, you are God. 
I will still praise you. If I'm kept there, if I'm kept over here, if nothing, you're God. This doesn't change your attributes. And we've got to stop living as if our circumstances changes who God is. That's why we must get to a place that we are secure in him and trusting him to see us through, to see us through. Last week, and we were talking about wisdom, <laughs> how important it is, and the, and the contrast and the difference between the, the wisdom and, and the, the immoral woman. <laughs> the immoral woman entices us. Wisdom beckons us to come, to follow, to receive. And so, Proverbs 8, and only two verses, 12 and 13. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance. This is wisdom talking. I live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. And all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance. We are to see the things of this world detestable. It's filth. We ought to recognize Not the people. Because we were once like them. Blinded. Deaf. Enslaved to sin and to hell. But God stepped in. Redeemed us. Called us as his own. Freed us. Set us apart. Consecrated us. And sent us out. To bear witness. So it's not that we hate the people of the world. It's not that we think we're better than the people of the world. But we do hate sin. We know how destructive it is. We don't cater to it. You know? We encourage others not to go its way. No matter what they say about us. We understand the effects of it and where it leads to an eternal punishment and to an eternal fire. There's nothing that the flesh can do of any value. It just knows to die. And so it's dragging people to their death quickly. God help us to stand in the way. To go, don't go that way. Go this way. Turn to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Know of his love for you. Not to keep you enslaved to sin, but to free you from it. In a generation where people are calling themselves this and Christian and that and Christian, putting their sin before Christ, that is the most craziest thing. And the church is embracing it. 
You never put your sin before Christ. It's just Christ. You're a Christian. Live as one. As one who is honoring Jesus. As one who has wisdom. Look at this. And good judgment. You know how to discover because of wisdom, because of good judgment, knowledge and discernment. You know if you ought to make that choice or that decision. You know how you're messing up things in your relationships. You know that that is not sound judgment. That's not wise. That is not of knowledge. It shows no discernment on your part. And so we should turn away from it because we hate evil. We're not to yoke ourselves to anything that represents evil. Because we're of righteousness now. We're of God. So we must use sound judgment and wisdom and knowledge and discernment. And pray for that daily. If that's not a daily prayer, pray for that. Look at your actions. Can one say that it's filled with knowledge? Filled with good judgment? That it was discerning, that it reflects knowledge, because they ought to. And we're not going to get it right every time. And so when we don't get it right every time, when correction is brought to us, correction is brought to us so that we will have wisdom, that we would have good judgment and knowledge and discernment. That's what correction should do, because it leads us back to Christ. That's what accountability does. And yet so many times we stiff arm God, we stiff arm the the seeking counsel and people who are holding us accountable. And then we say, oh, why are you judging me? (laughs) Well, why wouldn't we judge you? (laughs) Look how you're living. Especially if you're calling yourself a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then you're right. I have no right to judge you. Do whatever you want, live however you want. But if you claim the name of Christ, you ought to be held accountable. You ought to be held accountable. Because your desire and your new nature is to honor God. And wisdom says, I wisdom live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Oh, let us be a people who fear God. I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 25 for a moment. Because I didn't go, I didn't read chapter 26 through verse 13. So Jesus just said, in verse 46 of 25, and they will go away into an eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, 
plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Interesting. How in Exodus we were seeing the high priests being dressed and clothed and their priestly duties. And now here we're seeing that the Pharisees and, and, and the men of God, if you would, in that day and age, was meeting in the house of a high priest to kill God. <laughs> oh, how times have changed. These men should have known who Jesus was. But they refused to believe him because they were stiff-arming God, because they wanted it to be about them. It goes on here. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. An act that she didn't even know. Her reasoning of coming in to, to, to anoint him and, and to weep at his feet was to honor him and to worship him. But her act was that a greater understanding she was preparing him for his burial. And I love the fact that he says, whenever the gospel is preached, this woman will be remembered. Oh, that we would come to Christ, you all, and that we will pour unto him and lavish him with all that we have in obedience all that he's called us to because we never know the fullness of the purpose behind it until we get there with him so walk in the fullness of obedience an act of worship unto Christ giving him your all this wasn't an, I'm sure Something that, I mean, look how the disciples acted. What is she doing? It's worth so much money. But she willingly gave it up. She willingly poured it over him. You know? And then just think of what she faced even coming into the house. <laughs> to even to, to come in and kind of disrupt <laughs> the fellowship of the men. <laughs> She came in and she poured out everything. Let that be said of you, let that be said of me. That we're pouring out our lives. Everything that we hold dear unto Christ. And saying, God, use it. Use it. She poured out her worship, not knowing 
but it's symbolized. So we may not have the fullness of, of understanding, but we don't wait for understanding to obey. We just worship. It's our lifestyle. So I'm going to close this with this last song, and I'll close this in prayer.
Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears. 